Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. This is a Lip Media Podcast. And welcome to the Sinister Sissies Podcast, your guide to true crime, horror, and everything man on man and macabre. A little bit little bit drunk here. I'm Jared, a- <laughs> your master of depravity. I'm allegedly your slave, even though Jared's my slave tonight, because I've been feeding him alcohol. I may have I may have had a bottle of wine before we started recording. We're all fine now. Look, Sam, since you were the more sober one, what are we talking about today? Well, today we are talking about the 1983 classic Sleepaway Camp. AKA Nightmare Vacation. Vacation. Yeah. Dear Mom and Dad, I've been at a sleepaway camp for almost three weeks. And I'm getting very scared. Welcome to sleepaway camp. Someone is watching you. Someone is waiting for you. Someone wants to scare you to death. Turn it! Turn the wheel! Oh my god! Sleep away, camp. You won't be coming home. Written and directed by Robert Hilsick. Uh, This is a classic of the slasher genre and has become particularly infamous because of its final scene. Yes, the the film was a huge hit in New Jersey and worldwide, probably in the home video market. For some reason... New Jersey in in particular? Well, when it came out in cinemas, it was the number one film in New Jersey. I don't know if that's because someone in the film was like an iconic... Jersey an actor or something. I reckon that like really buff camp counselor might have been from New Jersey. Maybe he had a following. I don't know. Oh yeah, it is. You know, most of the actors seem to be from. Yeah, like, you can New hear York. the accent for sure. Uh, it is a, an iconic film in the slasher slash horror genre. Uh, in particular, I feel like all of the tropes to do with the nineteen eighties 
uh, slasher genre are part of this film. They are definitely very present. As per the last film we covered, Night Warning, uh, there is an ample amount of gay subtext. And a lot of it is just seamlessly integrated into the film. It's not necessarily, I mean, there are parts of it that are obviously there for shock value. I, I think that this is a hashtag problematic film. It's The ending is definitely hashtag problematic. I highly recommend that you do check it out before listening to this review, because uh, this review is going to be full of spoilers. And it's very readily available online. So no matter where you live in the world, you can access this film. So there's no excuses. Exactly, exactly. So the film opens uh, with a uh, family with two kids and their father going out on a lake. Uh, with their father's special friend. With their father's special friend who's, who's, who's waving from the, the shore. Uh, we have two children, Angela and Peter, who are on the lake um, and, and swimming in the water, swimming uh, next to a boat that they were on that just recently flipped. Uh, unfortunately, a jet ski is on its way towards the boat and we get our tragic opening in which the father and one of the children is killed. Yes, um, basically, Marianne, is it Marianne who's driving the, the boat? For the teenagers, the yes. teen- yeah, you remember the names Look, of the teenagers. Look, te- there are some teenagers involved, they're carelessly driving a boat, and they're too busy talking to notice that they're about to intercept this family, and yeah, they kill several members of the family. But which members of the family? Yes, well that's what we're going to be getting to. We then cut to the survivor, who we know is Angela, who is sent to live with her <laughs> very eccentric aunt. Yes, potentially mentally ill. I'm, I'm going to say they're mentally ill. <laughs> um, the IMDb page uh, describes her character name as Dr. Martha Thomas is her name. This is a film that has a really strong cult following, even to the point where like um, the writer of the film has come out and said that the aunt was actually meant to be a psychiatrist. Even though we never find that out in the film, no. people were so curious about the character because she is iconic in every sense of the word. She is wonderfully bizarre. Wonderfully bizarre. I know that Jared isn't a fan of camp, but the performance given by the aunt is nothing short of like the campus thing I've seen in like five years. Look what I did. I packed you and your cousin some goodies for the ride up to camp. Wasn't that nice of me? Hmm? Any chips? Why, of course. I believe there's a whole bag. Yes, so we're introduced to this eccentric aunt and we're also introduced to um angela's cousin ricky wonderful performance by jonathan turston of the young character ricky i think he's meant to be about like 14 years old 15 years old something like that um apparently the way that they did the audition process for this is that the director robert hiltzik actually just asked jonathan to just swear at him ricky the character has a filthy fucking mouth throughout he's got some deep-rooted anger issues and they're they're often emanating in the form of Explicit course language. My my favourite line from Ricky in this film is that during a baseball game, um, one guy says to him, eat shit and die, Ricky. And eat shit and live. Yeah. <laughs> I so, love that scene too. It's so good. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> and you can feel some genuine teenage angst coming off Ricky because the actor Jonathan Tierston was only like 14 or 15 when yeah. this film was shot. So there you go. Authenticity. And both the kids, now that they're living with the aunt, they're being sent to a summer camp that is obviously the sleepaway camp that is the uh i was about to say the titular title but that is a double meaning well 
Yes, it is. I, mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know how else to frame that. Welcome to the Drunk Podcast. Once the buses arrive to their summer camp, um, we get our first hint of uh, darker underpinnings to the camp where Artie, the creepy head cook, starts to vocalise his uh, lust for the children that are arriving. It's where he comes from, in his words. They're called baldies. Look at all that young, fresh chicken. Where I come from, we call them baldies. Very lovely, lovely, mm. lovely introduction to old Artie. Uh, Ricky has been to summer camp before, and he introduces the very quiet Angela to various people at the camp, including his best friend Paul, played by Christopher Collette. Yes, Paul's been too really sweet, but he definitely verges into Me Too territory with some of his behaviour. It's a very, yeah, look, a lot of 1980s morals going yes. on here. He's a nice guy, therefore the girl he's interested in is supposed to put it, want to put out for him. Yes. Even yes. though she doesn't want to. But, you know, he's a nice guy, everyone. That's, that's what we're meant to believe. Then we have Judy, the A-grade bitch. Yes. So Ricky, I think Ricky may have had a fling with Judy Last previous summer. summer. Uh, and then Judy has filled out since then in the sense that I think that Judy may be 20. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I watched it with my friend last night and he was like, is Judy 35? <laughs> I don't know what the age gap is. They do make out at some point. Yes, Judy is meant to be like 15, the same age, but the actress definitely... Um, Much older. Yes. Or she had a really hard life. Or she did fill out over summer. I don't yeah. know. Not that we're lusty after this alleged 15-year-old girl, but the whole point is, yeah, she's meant to be that girl that like... That tokenistic girl that got really hot over summer after being kind of like a wallflower the one before. And she is our, our cliched bitch for the entire slasher film. And her character never falters. I do admire this film. The, um, Judy is the bitch and she never once has a redeeming moment. No, no, she's not a character. She's no. not fully fledged. She's, she's, she's just a, she's just a she small. Is... Usually in these kind of films, a caddy character will have um, you know, some sort of redeeming moment where they're like, I'm sorry that I was mean to you, Angela. Judy, she don't get that. No. Angela remains quiet and the actress who plays Angela... Felissa Rose. Felissa Rose, thank you. Uh, Felissa Rose plays this very strangely. The, the entire behaviour of Angela throughout this film is this, like, vacant... You have no idea what this girl is thinking throughout this yeah. entire time. I, I mean, I suppose we're meant to believe that she's been through an intense amount of trauma, but I don't know... I don't feel like this is very well researched by the writing team because she's basically catatonic until she falls in love. Yes. She, um, through out their lunchtime, their first lunchtime at the summer camp, refuses to eat anything, which um, raises a bit of concern amongst the counsellor, Ronnie, who is, uh, he has very, very short shorts and very, very. big muscles. and He looks raw delicious. How old do you think he is? Ronnie. I reckon early 30s. He actually returned for sleepaway camp part five, returned to sleepaway camp. And he still looks like basically the same, like 20 plus years later. I couldn't get a good, I feel like he was either an old 30 something or a... He could have been late 20s, but just like, you know when people just go too hard on the gym and it ages them. And He's the tanning weird, as well. Weirdly proportioned muscular It was body. very strange. It was kind of hot, but also weird. Yeah, I didn't get the hot element, but well, I I'm got the... That. Yeah, okay. Any um, like roided up man, like hit me up. But <laughs> natural, nat naturally, very muscly. You can do what you want with me, it's fine. As long as you don't do steroids, is that your limit? Um, well, you know, you don't. I'm just saying that I'm not encouraging people to damage or put their bodies at risk for my lustful intentions. Wreck my slave. 
Um, Please. Ronnie is a bit concerned about Angela and takes her to the dodgy head cook, Artie, in order to get her something to eat. Artie is, uh, sorry, Angela is taken back into a back room by Artie. Uh, in which he gets a bit molesty. Yes, he's offering her his finest sausage, which happens to be in a molestation special. Yes. It's not uh, good for Angela. Luckily, the wonderful Ricky, her cousin, comes in and interrupts that, swearing his heart out as he's going along, and that interferes with any potential uh, molestation yes, it by works. Artie. It works. Meanwhile, we cut forward after this incident, um, and... Artie the cook is uh, cooking from an incredibly tall pot. Yes, he's salting that pot real good as well. He's just adding a lot of salt. Do we know that corn? He's he's making corn. He's making corn. Corn needs to be extra salty at summer camp. They're putting a whole bunch of corn in this incredibly large pot. Point of view shot a la Friday the 13th. We uh, see someone coming in and pulling the chair away from Artie and Artie gets covered in boiling water. It's actually, it's great special effect makeup in this scene. Special effect makeup in this film is actually wonderful, but it often overstates the severity of the injuries of the characters. Like, for example, I guess we'll get into the death scenes, but someone gets stung to death by bees, and the makeup is phenomenal, but it looks like they've been stung by bees and left to decompose for, like, eight years. It doesn't doesn't look like it just happened. That's all I'm saying. They settled for, um, like, uh, prosthetics versus pure makeup yes. is the, the difference. The deaths are very inventive. We've got to give this film that. Artie is taken away screaming. We don't know if he's dead or not because of this boiling water injury. Meanwhile, the camp owner, Mel, comes in and is keen to cover it up. And Mel's hot. Really? No, I'm just making fun of the camp counselor that thinks he's hot. Like the 17-year-old girl that's lusting after yes. him. Yes. Look, later on we'll get into the more <laughs> problematic. Mel is, uh, is an interesting fella. Um, the, the actor who plays him, Mike Kellen, didn't tell anyone, but he was actually dying of lung cancer at the time. I didn't know that he had lung cancer, but I did know that he passed away soon after the production of this film. Send all of your hate messages to Sam for the horrible comments that he made about our dear old Mel. I mean, always if the character was a creep, so just, it's a compliment the character, to the actor. The character is a creep. The character wants to cover all of this up. Robert Earl Jones, who is the father of James Earl Jones of Lion King and Star Wars fame, plays the assistant cook Ben in a uh, characterization which is slightly problematic. I'm going to put it out I'm going to say extremely by today's standards, but 1992, 1983, it was probably still um, still teetering on that edge. He plays the... Um, I don't know the, the he's, proper He's term. like the blubbering immigrant who's kind of like, okay, sir. Yeah, the yes, mas- master yes. type level stuff, which made me very uncomfortable. Yes. The rest of the cooks are meant to be immigrants who Mel's able to give hush money to and everything's all good. Later that night, the campers have a, a little dance. Uh, Angela, being the weird girl, starts getting teased by a couple of boys at the dance named Kenny and Mike. They start mocking her for not speaking. Uh, again, foul mouth Ricky intervenes and ends up getting kicked out because he gets to do a fight with a bunch of the boys. Fuck! I'm gonna beat your fucking ass with it! You and what arm? Shut up and let's go. Pricks! During this uh, dance, Paul uh, makes his move. 
he uh, speaks to good old Angela. Angela doesn't say anything, um, but he's very kind to her. And then as he leaves, he says goodbye or goodnight. And she replies, goodnight. Literally just like that. She's very hopeful. Yes. Um, and Paul, Paul's very, I don't know. I, I did have some sympathy no. for Paul at some point. So He's kind of cute. He it's triumphantly cute. jogs off after Angela's like, good night. Yeah. It's like, a, that's a cute little, yeah. No, the relationship is cute. It just has some elements where he's pressuring her in a way the that's kissing like, bits yeah, that, bit. yeah. It isn't so endearing, but like, I understand, I can see that their intention was to frame him as like, you know, a do-gooder type of guy who's like looking out for the underdog. Angela. All the boys at the summer camp are keen to get all the girls to go skinny dipping, but it ends up being a bit of a sausage fest. You know, not complaining. <laughs> to, to our delight. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of this film. The homoeroticism is cranked up to about 500. There's a lot of tidy whities a lot of short shorts, a lot of shirtless guys. Most of the hot ones, luckily, are definitely of age, because this is one of those films where there's definitely some... Actors that were definitely actually teenagers. Yes. But there are a couple that were like 25, clearly, as well. A lot of the tidy whities you can see. So so I watched this, again, I watched this with a straight female friend. Uh, and both her and I were pointing out the fact that, like, some of those some of those yes. tidy whities were showing some... Look, the outline game is strong. <laughs> it was interesting times. In these times of isolation, we've got to get what we can. One of these horny boys is named Kenny. He uh, goes out in a rowboat with his girlfriend, Leslie. He is a fucking dick to her and tips over the boat, which I feel like is completely unjustified, and she swims away. Kenny uh, knocks over the rowboat and then he jumps under the rowboat because he thinks she's under there and there's a bit of like an air gap between the, the rowboat and the water. Um, and that's when he, he sees someone. We don't know who this is. But you know that he knows who it is. Yeah, and he's like, you know, why are you doing here? And then that person drowns Kenny to death. His body is found the next day, his decomposing body. And again, Mel, the, the counsellor, the, the head of the, the camp, says that, oh, well, this was clearly an accidental drowning. No need to think about it further and gets the cop to take him away. My favourite part of this, though, is that so Kenny, before he dies, is trying to tease his girlfriend that there's sea snakes in the water. And then when his body is found, there's like a snake coming out of his mouth. Yeah. So, you know, I like it. It's almost prophetic. Uh, interesting as well, when they were filming this scene, the actor who played Kenny, um, I don't know at what point, but I think when they flipped the boat over and over, ended up cutting his hand. Oh. So they had, there were several days between uh, the underneath the canoe bit and when he actually filmed it because he seriously injured himself and had to be rushed to hospital. Oh, well, there you go. Hopefully this is a union project. I doubt it. I highly doubt it as well. <laughs> a lot of the slasher films were done, you know, outside of occupational health and no. safety. I love hearing about some 80 slasher films too. Like I was reading about this particular 80 slasher film and one of the cast members said that like the financing for the film was arriving in like carry bags. Like uh, airport carry bags. People would like open it up and it'd just be like wads of money. Like probably funded by, you know. Mafia. Some sort of criminal underlings, yeah. you know. How, we, how did you finance your film? Not from the mafia. <laughs> that night, uh, Paul and Angela go to the rec room for for a movie, uh, which 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 brought about a couple of like so obviously in Australia we don't have summer camps quite like they do in America. Well, it's bizarre in this film because and I know it's actually true. Like even like sixteen year olds go to this camp, but they voluntarily for like nine weeks will, yeah, you know, live in these bunk arrangements and do all these like outdoor activities. It's just very weird to fathom. I would not have been into that at that time. 
We we in Australia we have like school camps. Like yeah, that's like a one week, yes. five days even. But this idea of going to the rec room to watch a movie was very like that's very school camp, right? Very like, school camp. Um, there's like a little projector, and you go you go watch like a shitty movie. Um, Paul and Angela go and see a movie at the rec room, um, and then once they're leaving and alone, Paul uh, kisses Angela. Um, she gets annoyed at him and then walks away. Yeah, she's kind of into the first kiss, and he goes for it again. He's like, and yeah. the, the language he uses is kind of like, "Come on." Mm. She's kind of like not really having it. Like one kiss, fine. Two kiss, no. The next day, another counsellor, Meg, gets annoyed at Angela because Angela doesn't want to swim. Meg ends up angrily um, shaking Angela because she doesn't respond to her. And she ends up having to be pulled away by Ronnie, our wonderful buff, short, short man. Age ambiguous, steroids, potentially. Once we get back to the girls' cabin, Judy is being incredibly mean uh, to Angela. And she, she she mocks Angela as much as possible. She says she either is lesbian um, or... Wait, well, no. She says that she's either queer or she hasn't hit puberty yet. Those are her big insults. She's <laughs> slinging them. Hey, Angela. How come you never take showers when the rest of us do? reach puberty yet. Is that it? I bet you don't even have your period. That's enough, Judy. Angela's allowed to shower in the morning or any other time she wants to. Yeah. She takes showers when no one can see. She has no hair down below. Judy, she's a real carpenter's dream. The lad is a board and needs a screw. That's enough. Fuck off. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Speaking of fucking camp counselors not doing the job properly, all of the boys for some reason are on the roof just, of one of the cabins, just hanging out, um, just throwing like water balloons and stuff, and they end up ballooning the shit out of Angela again. Her wonderful cousin Ricky comes into her defense, calling them all, you know, whatever you can think of. There's a lot of you fucking fucks again. Angela is consoled by Paul. Um, and they make her feel better. There's a big rivalry that emerges between Angela and Judy, the bitchy character, mm. um, because Judy kind of doesn't like that Paul isn't interested in her. Like, I don't think she wants Paul, but every other guy is all over Judy. So she starts to form a bit of a rivalry with Angela because, you know, Paul's head's in the other direction. A little later, uh, one of the boys that was throwing the water balloons named Billy uh, tells one of the other campers that he... Needs to go take a wicked dump. <laughs> it happens. Uh, when he goes to take his wicked dump in a toilet stall, we have an unseen person. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we have an unseen person who, who locks the stalls. Using a broom handle. Yeah. And then puts a hive of live bees 
into the stall in which Billy then eventually dies he from dies several in, bee stings. He dies in about 20 seconds as well, worth noting. It's a very yeah. quick fatality. And Billy is so fucking hot. Like, I want to see what Billy looks like now, because Billy... I think Billy Billy's one of the ones that has, like, the crop top short shorts. I want Billy bad. Yes, Billy dies quite a grisly death, yeah, via a, a hive of bees that kill him in a very quick... Um, succession, but the makeup in this scene is also great. But once again, it looks like the bees have been eating in his flesh for, you know, like a whole day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mel, the head of the camp, again, hears about Billy's death, and again tries to cover it up. It's a very much, um, I don't know what the name of the guy in Jaws is, but the, sorry, the mayor. The mayor, yeah. The mayor in Jaws. That night, uh, Angela and Paul have a bit of an intimate moment, and during the time where they're making out. Angela has a flashback to her youth in which her and her sibling uh, witness her father in bed with another man. But it's a, it's a really tender scene, though. They're literally just stroking each other. It is. It's very, like, I, I watched that scene and I was like, oh, well, that's really nice. We need to break down the scene because it's a bit ridiculous. So they view that and then there's a spiralling scene of Angela and Peter, Peter's her brother, uh, sitting on the bed and it's spiraling around and there being confusion. I mean, I think that's the implication. Confusion between Peter and Angela about who each other is after they discover that their father is sleeping with a man. Yes, there's, an, there's a scene where Peter points to Angela and Angela just kind of like stares. Then Angela wakes up from her trance and realizes she's not ready for sex yet and she runs off mm. how does this interconnect we'll find out soon we'll find out soon <laughs> there's a lot going on there. there's a lot going on there paul is a bit of a dick about this because he wanted to get some because he's a horny little 14 year old so paul tells judy that angela's a prude mm-hmm. and tries to hook up with her instead as you do they're making out and angela walks in and they separate and angela's literally in the middle there was some Cinematic poetry right there. A lot of teenage drama that we don't need to cover, but there's just a lot of... Paul is tempted by the the, the seductress. The 35-year-old slash 15-year-old Dixon. Seductress. <laughs> uh, and then ends up regretting it and apologising to Angela later on. Yeah, so Mel is getting increasingly frustrated with the situation. Um, the camp ends up almost shutting down. Only 25 kids remain at the camp. Probably a lot cheaper for the filmmakers too, because we had like hundreds of extras in the other scenes. So yeah, Mel is going to do whatever it takes to keep the camp open, but he's distracted when Meg, uh, one of the hot young counsellors who'd also been quite mean to Angela, um, asks him for a dinner date. Well, apparently he asked her, but it was off screen, but she's like, can I have that dinner date that you offered me? Yes, he's hooking up with who, I think that the counsellors are meant to be like like 18, 19, right? They're meant to be like late teens, I'd, I'd assume. Yes, so the the, the head of the camp is particularly dodgy so this is meg who's preparing for her date with mel yes and of course she's have a nice hot shower beforehand she wants to have a nice hot shower all the um the girl's cabin is full so she goes to a cabin which is next door and of course whenever somebody is alone in a shower you're automatically suspecting that they're going to get killed yes good things aren't going to happen aside from nudity on screen which we don't even get here she gets killed i think i'm right in this the knife gets stabbed through the wall correct so it's meant to be a thin shower wall like the shower is like a, it's really difficult to explain 
It's like an L-shaped shower where there's obviously Still, a very... Still, I don't think it makes sense. I don't think it makes sense at all. But because she's... she gets stabbed and then the knife goes down the wall. Yes. So which would can... require a lot of strength. Well, you know, obviously this person was very angry with her. So yeah, she gets killed. Her body presses up against the shower curtain. Um, it doesn't break the shower curtain right until... Yes, until several, like maybe a half an hour later, <laughs> where she falls through in front of Mel. And it's at that point that Mel begins to think that Ricky is actually behind the killings. Yes, he vows to avenge her as girl Meg, you know, my borderline underage temptress. I need to avenge her death. And so now we're getting to the point where everything's heating up, and this is like the end night of the, the slasher film. Uh, something you need to be aware of is that uh, a bunch of young kids are taken by a counsellor named Eddie going out and camping out on um, you know nearby grounds. So, the yeah, wilderness. To give, them, to give them a bit of an idea of what it's like to be camping. Um, it's six of them out there, but a bunch of them end up being like, it's cold <laughs> and not wanting to camp out there. So about half of the kids get taken back by Eddie to main cabin site and a bunch of kids get left by their by themselves, which I thought was a bit fucking negligent by Eddie. Well you just Eddie does have that moment of hesitation, you know? Yeah. Whilst this is all happening, uh Judy is well, originally Judy is with a boy and they're making out. Uh, and they get intercepted by Mel asking where uh Meg is. Um, the boy is not keen to hook up with Judy. Did you find that strange? I thought it was really weird, actually, because, yeah, he, after almost getting caught, he hides underneath the bed, and when he gets back out, he's too scared to go through with it, and Judy is the one who's, like, trying to pressure him. Yeah, basically, she's like, are you serious, you want to leave? And he's like, yeah, I don't want to get in trouble. So, anyway, Judy's left alone, and again, we know it's a slasher film, we know what's going to happen. We see a silhouette of a child in a wig. And what happened in this circumstance, without revealing too much at this point, the child that ended up being the killer of this film, their parents was not keen on them being involved in any killing scenes. So instead, we have the actor who played Ricky in a wig, in a silhouette. It's, it's very odd because you can clearly tell it's the actor too. Yeah, and so you're watching this and you're like, who the fuck is that? Because <laughs> it's this weird combination of things. Anyway, we see a silhouette of a child. Uh, Judy is like, "Why? what are you doing here? And she is killed by her... Hair straightener. Hair straightener. It's all done in shadows. So basically someone puts a pillow over her face and we see in the shadows the hair straightener rise and the hair straightener go between what's implied to be between her legs. So she gets... The hair straightening up the veg. Nice internal straightening. Internal straightening. And I did ask my female friend about this. They do get very, very hot. So you would get you would get quite severely damaged. Well, you'd probably go into shock at least. I think that if anything was going to kill Judy, it would be the pillow and not the... Yeah, she's being smothered at the same time. Presumably, though, I always interpreted that as they didn't want people to hear her scream. Because we get this scream from Judy that's like... <gasps> <laughs> I love that 
the IMDb description is that she has a pillow on her face and forces a curling iron somewhere unknown. Bracket. Possibly her vagina. Definitely her vagina. <laughs> Mel finds Meg's body, as we've mentioned, and he goes full ape shit. He's already been suspicious that Ricky could be the killer due to his anger issues, and this further kind of validates that theory. He tells uh, many of the other counsellors, but at this point, Ronnie um, has called the police... And the police are on their way. Eddie arrives back at the outdoor survival camp and finds what appears to be like several bags of trash, which is mm. actually three of the children. It's very poorly done because yeah. I think I've seen this film maybe three times, and every time I'm like, "What is that meant to be?" It looks like a lot of pillows that have been like dismantled with some tomato sauce poured on them, or something like that. Yeah. You know, it's an yeah. But anyway, it's meant to imply that someone has killed with a hatchet the kids that were sleeping mm. there overnight. Which is fucking intense. Like, they've killed yeah. kids in this film. a lot of pent-up rage, that's for sure. Yeah. At the uh, social club that is happening that night, Angela tells Paul to meet her later that night at a particular rendezvous. You know what that means? I think mm-hmm. it's by the lake, in fact. It is, by the lake. She's she's enticing him to for later on. You vixen, Angela. After Meg's body is found... Uh, there are all of the counsellors brought together um, and they start to realise that there is a killer on the loose. Both the counsellors and the police uh, end up coming together and then they start searching for both Ricky, because they think that Ricky is potentially a suspect, as well as Angela and any missing campers. The most hilarious thing about this scene is that the police officer that shows up. We've seen him earlier in the film, and he has a full mustache. But later in the film, he has the most fake fucking mustache that you've ever seen. They're obviously trying to continuity fix that, but um, because he obviously been... shaved it off yeah. between the shoots. It would have been better if they just left that, but you know, it adds to the charm. It's it's terrible. It's like literally a two dollar shop policeman mustache. It's you have to see it to believe it. So during this time, Mel confronts Ricky and tells him that he thinks that he's the murderer. Starts beating the shit out of he him. He beats the absolute shit out of him in quite a comical, over-the-top way. Ricky's unconscious, so, you know, Mel's like, yeah, that's taken care of. But then someone shoots Mel through the neck of a bow and arrow. Mm-hmm. And he knows before it happens, he's like, it's you. It can't be you. And then he's dead. Ronnie and one of the other counsellors. Susie. Susie. Yeah, Susie's the nice girl, by the way. We haven't mentioned her because, you know, who wants to talk about the nice girls? Um, Go searching the camp and they stumble upon Angela naked along with what they think is cradling Paul's (laughs) head uh, at the time. Angela stands up and that's when we find out that little Paul has had his head severed off. And little Angela has a little dick. And Angela stands up and we find out that Angela has a penis. Uh, Lots of things to talk about with this last (laughs) scene. It literally is over and done with in like two seconds. Um, so after she first stands up and we see the penis, we see, um, the dodgy doctor psychiatrist aunt talking about that she's always wanted a little girl. And so she's decided that Peter, who was the surviving child. From uh, the accident at the beginning. From the accident at the beginning. 
would actually be the little girl Angela, combined with the fact that she had a homosexual father, um, has confused her to a point where Angela thinks that she's a girl. Now, this is an iconic scene because it's so uncanny valley. Felissa Rose, yeah. who played Angela, uh, was underage, and so they couldn't show her naked with like a fake little penis, and so they instead got a local college student who who's never been named. They just got him really drunk, I heard. They did. They, he, he needed to get incredibly drunk, and he put on this mask of Angela and makes this like... Like, yeah, the best part of this is Angela's expression never changes because obviously, yeah, the actor's wearing a cast of her face. So it's just this college guy making some vague growling noises. movie ends the the credits start rolling down and that's that's the end of this film although it is followed by you know several sequels so if you want to know what happened to angela you do have your answers the sequels are a bit more they're less uh slasher slasher and more like comic yeah these horror this film i felt like was intended as a serious piece and the sequels embrace the tongue-in-cheek so I, i watched this film again with a bunch of friends and all of my friends were asking okay why did she kill them? Well, I mean, everyone she killed was mean to her. It's like she basically just targeted... I'm assuming she had some deep-rooted trauma and you know, she had some intimacy issues, obviously, because Angela's obviously experiencing a little bit of gender dysphoria as well. So I guess Which people... is interesting. In the sequels, she doesn't. She's just like, well, in the I'm sequ- a woman. In the sequel, she said she's been cured by therapy and dot, 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 and operation. Oh, so... okay. So she got... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so well, yeah, I, I think uh, like one thing that we haven't talked about is that, that this film is divisive um, amongst the LGBT community. Well, it's an odd film because it presents homosexuality in such a normalised way, but yet the portrayal of transgender is... Does it? So, so I don't know if it necessarily Maybe puts, it puts forward homosexuality. I, I feel like they try and blame homosexuality on her gender confusion yeah i mean it's very unclear because that scene is so ambiguous i suppose you can read it in any way but the relationship is still portrayed as being healthy happy at least okay i'm gonna say the relationship between her oh, yes father they and, seem happy yes yeah, i would say that the relationship between her father and the boyfriend is portrayed as happy although yeah as you said it maybe is being sort of put in the firing line for part of her gender dysphoria and sort of general uncertainty and anger that she holds amongst the trans community i know that a lot of trans people have a very complicated relationship with angela because i think that a lot of trans people um a lot of trans women in terms of the sequel based angela view her because she's she's kind of hilarious she's an, like, no, she's an icon in the yes, sequels. Yeah. she owns her identity in and the sequels i think that that is that is that's much more easier to be like this is some schlocky fun yeah um but i don't know the original narrative of the sleepaway camp clearly clearly this was just um a bunch 
bunch of uh, directors wanting to be shocking, right? Well, yeah, I think... That was their motivation, and that's why they picked this topic. And so it's not done necessarily in the most realistic way. No, it was definitely, you know, at this point, so the slasher boom is considered to be from 1978 to 1994. This film came out in 1983, so it's towards the end of the boom. Mm. And so obviously they've thought, okay, what can we do that's actually different? And I guess this shock value ending where... You know, Angela's really a guy, or Angela's. I doubt they were thinking about gender politics and go. Oh, definitely not. Angela's no. transgender. I'm sure the whole punchline is meant to be she's really a he. Um, Although the fact that they double down on that in terms of the gender identity in the sequel is a bit. Yeah. But that's five years later when there's been some time to reflect, perhaps. I yes. feel, and it was made by a different team. Oh, was it? Okay. Yes, yeah. the director of this film did not direct the. He directed, I think, number part five, but not. So yeah, part five is also a little bit it's similar in terms of tone to this one, whereas mm. two and three are quite um, over the top, campy, sort of tongue in cheek and satirical. Whereas this film is played straight and that's what makes it even better. I feel like, I think, in some ways, I think one thing you can say about this film is that like, it's having a play with gender and sexuality, which at the time was not happening. Angela isn't trans because that's how she personally identifies. She's forced into this role as a child because her auntie always wanted a yeah. daughter and her auntie forces her to live as a daughter, which we're meant to believe um, is why she's unhinged. Yes, and that's the problematic side, yeah. isn't it? I think you could view this as positively or negatively in that like forcing someone to display gender characteristics which are not what they want to do makes them unhinged, which is a bit more positive. I like this, yes. Versus any gender difference, which is different from sex, yeah. makes people unhinged. Yes. Well, we can interpret it the way that you... Are this is the thing. <laughs> but I feel I, like it was... It definitely the writer-director was not thinking this complexity. But that's the only reason, literally, the reason people know this film... Like, my friend who I watched it with yesterday to refresh myself on the film, he'd seen the ending before, never the film, but everyone knows the ending of this film because at the time, and even... You know, mate, up until the, 10, 15 years ago, it was probably still known for being quite shocking because of the reveal. I am often in favour of tasteless art because sometimes tasteless, tasteless art exposes people to ideas that they've never thought yes. of. Well, it's definitely a time capsule. We'll go with that. It's not, yes, again, it's not the most politically correct way of talking about these issues, but at the same time, I think that it, it has its place in the history yeah. of cinema. And as we said, in the sequels, it actually is dealt with a lot more respectfully. Like, yes, in the sense that she's awesome. She's yeah. fun. She's like a Freddy Krueger. Yeah, like Angela obviously is still a murderer, but she's not ashamed of her gender identity. She's, she's an icon of horror, and I think that, that, that the fact that we have a trans... I'm willing to call her a transgender uh, icon of horror. She is. Everyone, you know, Angela Baker is, you know, up there in cult movie circles. Yeah. People consider her in the same realm as, like, Freddie and Jason, or just maybe a tier below. I think that, that, that that's that's great. And it, 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 it shows sometimes when uh, things are done in a really cash-grabby, tasteless, exploitative ways, they unintentionally become progressive. Yeah, well, this because this they're always at least led to that because they're on the cusp of whatever is morally a bit, you know, othered at that point, and they want to exploit it, and that ends up being weirdly good in the long term. So check out those sequels. Check out this film. I know we're all in kind of uncertain and quite isolate times right now. So what better time to have a sleepaway camp marathon and let us know what you think? 
Thank you for listening to the Sinister Sissies podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Sinister Sissies. You can also follow us on Instagram at Sinister underscore Sissies. That's correct. Uh, You can follow me personally at Jared Bartle. That is Jared with a Y. And until next time, stay sinister. 